Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, friends of all creeds, shapes, and sizes, this is Shark Brain. You're welcome to it! I'm your host, Jake Newton, taking you on the journey inside my brain and the brains of others on a creative journey up shit creek. I'm sorry if any of you are listening to this with kids in the car. I apologize. There is an explicit warning on this in iTunes, and that's for a very particular reason, because we let it fly here. We don't really let it fly. We just live in a dump truck of a culture, and hey, you know what? I have a little bit of dump truck on me, so um, I don't know where I'm going with that. Let's center around what has been happening in the last few weeks with all of us. The manic panic has already set in. You're in the thick of it. You're kind of there at the end of the stretch to try to figure out what you're going to get for people, some of whom you rarely hang out with. You're fighting that bitterness inside of you. You're out there fighting literal lines of people, weaving in and out of traffic like a ninja. You're doing what you have to do. I'm not. I'm not. I'm in complete and utter denial. I've said this before on the show and to other people in my life. I'm a terrible gift giver, and I've kind of accepted that. I am not. That is not my love language. I'm a hugger. I'm a hugger, not a gift giver. I'm kind of the guy that stands next to the gift giver and goes like, yeah, and I was consulted on this, and I thought it was good too, so we got it for you. Yeah, we. What did I do? I just said, yeah, that looks good. That's pretty much how it goes in our house, in the Casa de Neutron. What has been happening? A lot has been happening, but I can't talk to you about it yet because I don't want to jinx it, and I don't know if it's actually going to go through. That's, you live long enough in this particular town, you learn not to celebrate until all those chickens are hatched. Needless to say, I've got a lot of eggs in the old proverbial nest. We'll see what happens. So it's been a really frenetic time played uh, the Hotel Cafe benefit show this last weekend. I'm recording this on Saturday because uh, I typically do it the day before it gets released. But um, yeah, the the next night is uh, is tonight. I don't know why I told you that. I'm not going to surrender to the conceit. No, I'm doing this right now. I'm in your head. It's live. No. Anyway, I uh, had a great time playing. Um, got a little bit of, a little bit caustic on the mic. Um, it's a, a part of myself that I've been kind of taking out for a walk uh, when I get on stage here and there. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. The on Friday night when I played, it worked. Um, people kind of appreciated uh, uh, that certain sense of biting sarcasm in a good-natured kind of a way. I don't really want to dwell on it. I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to become um, known for being um, disillusioned, angry, uh, misanthropic. Uh, I'd like to bring light to the world. But in all honesty, if I'm going to be perfectly plain and truthful with myself, that is not my natural proclivity. And what is happiness other than being known and to know others? That's why I got into this business, which was a really terrible reason to do it. I realized that uh, I'm, I'm here to sell records and move units and... Uh, if I'm trying, I'm, I'm looking for, uh, for fulfillment and, uh, an ethereal, uh, moment of touching the void of existence. But, uh, that may or may not be the best place to be, the music industry, especially the music industry in 2013. Let's talk about the music industry. I'll get into what, uh, a little bit of a precursor, Cliff Notesy kind of a thing of what me and Ari just, uh, spoke about on this podcast. He is, he is one of these unique, kind of a minds when it comes to music he's incredibly good at the business and very inventive he's creative in a business sense which is a totally different animal compared to being creative in a music sense and maybe he's got the creative music sense as well so he's an odd bird and one of those one of those odd birds that actually are able to carve out a living in this very precarious landscape that is the 2013 music music landscape um I don't know. I don't want to get too much into the uh, spoil the talk, but uh, it was really good to get him in here and actually get a few ideas for what I'm doing in my own particular uh, form of trying to sell myself, put myself out there in in that form. Um, but no, it's uh, you know, I don't know. I'm circling around a few different things. Um, the coffee addiction continues uh, to be holding strong. Um, I, I continue to not uh, smoke methamphetamines too. So I mean. Points for coffee on that. I mean, it's uh, there's empirical evidence that uh, coffee keeps you from from enjoying other illicit drugs. Because when was the last time you saw somebody shoot up and then take a really big sip of some Colombian? Uh, maybe that Colombian was a bad word. Maybe maybe a different a different term. Context clues. I'm a little frazzled, people. I don't know. Uh, 
Uh, I don't know when I'm going to get a chance to rest. I'm just going to burn this candle out until it goes all the way down to the bottom. And uh, we'll see what happens. Either it'll end in a train wreck or I'll finally get down to my true self. Maybe at the core of things, I'm really just a, I'm really just a Tootsie Roll center uh, with a hard candy outside. Hmm. I've gone into a really weird space with this. Let's get out of it. Let's talk about what is coming up. I want you all to take a deep breath as you try to brave the wild winter, whether that wild winter be actual physical winter or whether it actually is uh, the place of your birth and your hometown and having to face those conversations that you have with people that never really feel good. You know, your uncle coming up and asking you how things are in, you know, maybe a condescending way, maybe in a bewildered way, going back into the old isms and schisms of your family without being able to be the adult that you want to be. You kind of go into that regressive state. Maybe you are not doing that and you're feeling homesick and you don't know when you're going to, when this inevitable tide of humanity is going to stop. When you can pull yourself away from the malaise of the 21st century and uh, be a human again, be a person. I don't know. Maybe I'm the only one that's struggling with this. Maybe there's only a select few of us and uh, that do this, but that sounds elitist to say that. Maybe I'm the only one that thinks on these deep things and other people are perfectly happy. Of course other people think on them. You don't even think on them, Jake. You put your face in your phone. You know all the in- You know your entire Instagram feed from the last 48 hours, but... You honestly don't really know what you want your next record to sound like. Come on. Get off your high horse. All right, that's enough self-bashing. Let's get into the talk with Ari Hurston. Now, I met Ari uh, just through, again, the singer-songwriter scene here in L.A. One unique thing about this guy is that he's uh, he's an odd, rare bird, especially when you surround yourself with musicians. He is got a unique sense of being able to divide his brain into two different quadrants, one of which being... A singer-songwriter plucking songs from the ephemera of your mind and uh, and putting them on a record, releasing those records. But he's also got a unique ability to uh, to put that creative creativity into the business side of things. Now, I I do know a few people that have been able to skate by in this weird climate without having to know. Any, anything at all about the music business. They're sort of these, you know, nymph-like creatures, you know, from days of yore that are able to sort of just float in and out. And maybe they don't know, maybe they actually do know more than they let on, but that's part of their mystique. But uh, we really get a little inside baseball on this sort of, uh, on this talk, and I really enjoy these sort of things, especially when you're hashing something out with somebody else, uh, being a singer-songwriter, trying to make it on your own without the aid of a record label, which seems to be the way to do it these days. In honesty, I can't. I I tell you, I'm I'm congratulating people for getting out of their record deal, deals as much as I'm congratulating them for getting them in the first place. It's a uh, it's a weird time to be alive, but it's a great time to be alive. Hell, the Galaxy Notebook is out. We've got i iPhones and iPads. It's a miracle. It's it, it's great to be alive. I'm a little gacky, a little goofy today, as you might have uh, as you might have guessed. I've been this candle burning is making me go a little insane. Let's let's get off of me for a second. Let's go into this interview with Ari Hurston on the one, the only Shark Brain. Ari Hurston in the Shark Brain Laboratories. Thank you for coming in, dude. Ah, uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, guy. Yeah, how you feeling today? Uh, I'm feeling, I'm feeling good now that we have this amazing cup of coffee in front yeah. of me. I'm feeling better. Yeah. So, yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. We, we over here at the Newton household have a lot of dietary restrictions for various different reasons. And oh, so okay. coffee is kind of the one last vestige that we hold on to. Mm. It's kind of, yeah, it, it gets a little obsessive, obsessive. You know, I'm, I'm in the same boat and I used to work at a coffee shop and, and so I became a total snob when I was there and I didn't really drink much coffee before I started, but then they kind of forced us into it. And then, uh, and now I'm hopelessly addicted, but I love it so much. That's strange because I know a lot of people that actually work at coffee shops and then hate it. Oh really? Yeah. Yeah. I I total opposite. I I became uh, a total aficionado after that. And and now, now I've totally tamed out. I'm not as much of a snob anymore. I'm I'm just, I just, 
just uh, uh, a lover of yeah. it. But you can't go back to Folgers without a, with a oh. smile on your face. Uh-uh. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the worst, man. I, I do remember like being able to do that as a kid, and just wanting co- even your teenager before this coffee explosion, really, which kind of shows off my age mm-hmm. a bit. You know, <laughs> before before like the coffee shop became the very centerpiece of our culture. Oh yeah, and Wi-Fi and all that stuff. So, dude, uh, yeah. let's let's get a little backstory on you. You are okay. from the Midwest. What exact? Where exactly? Um, well, I grew up in Wisconsin. Um, so, and my parents still live in Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I went to college in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and so that's where I kind of say my my musical uh, upbringing kind of really flourished I'd say mm-hmm. um, I mean in, in high school in, in Madison Wisconsin I was I was in a band um, mm-hmm. and we were kind of a uh, uh, I mean, because we all played multiple instruments, we didn't really know what to do with ourselves. And yeah. so one time, I mean, we would, we would cover Real Big Fish, uh, yeah. and then we would also cover Dave Matthews Band, <laughs> and then Billy Joel. And yeah. so that, <laughs> and we didn't really know what was happening. Um, so that, that was my high school band. Uh, I'd, I'd switch off from trumpet to guitar to bongos. Uh-huh. And, uh, but you know, it was, um, kind of music was, was, uh, always there i never i didn't actually um consider pursuing it uh professionally until i got to to minneapolis uh i went to school at the university there for um music education to become a high school band director oh wow yeah and that's that's what i was initially planning to do my whole life i guess my, my middle school band director uh was was uh very inspirational and i was like you know what? i could do that yeah. i want to do that and so i, I kind of held on to that all through high school i'm like i'm gonna be a high school band director and then i got to uh i got to school i got to, to college and um in this in this uh period of of just just um you know drastic changes happening in, in my life i mean as everyone does their freshman year of college yeah. in the dorm i don't know anybody my first week in the dorm all the doors were shut i didn't uh-huh. you know and, and so i had my guitar and I had a keyboard, and that's all I really had. And so then I started writing songs, uh, just acoustic songs, which I hadn't really done before because I was writing, you know, uh, the best really fish rip off before yeah, that. Of course, yeah, really upstroke guitars, <laughs> right? Upstroke yeah. guitars, I got really good at that. Um, and horn lines, uh, but uh, yeah, and so I started writing these acoustic songs, and then I, uh, I got a. Um, my first coffee shop gig that semester mm-hmm. and I kind of fell in love with that experience of, of sharing my music on stage with other people and, and being able to translate, uh, these monumental, uh, experiences that I was having in my life and, and, and translate that into this, this art form that, that I could then share with other people in such a, a interesting, unique, uh, kind of sense. And, uh, and I, we recorded the, the first show, um, at this coffee shop on a mini disc player. And, oh, and I remember mini you remember mini disc? Oh, See, course, I feel like man. people younger than 25 or older than 33 missed well, out on that yeah. totally mini yeah. disc went the way of, of the a-track but uh yeah mini disc <laughs> <laughs> super stoked about that thing right oh my God, they sounded so good they really did it was crispy it was that right. the first time that mp3 was that you were able to carry that thing around and yeah. i remember just and i remember wanting to wanting to get one so badly having a bunch of friends that had it and they were always so guarded with the thing yeah. talking about <laughs> how much the discs were and right. going like listen when you buy albums on this thing it's right. going to be amazing oh yeah absolutely that first ipod commercial happened after that and then just blew them out of the Water. Right, done. Yeah, yeah. They they had like a good year and a half of so. of just like right. They they took over the the market of people who cared about recording quality yeah. on the go. Yeah, and uh, and you didn't really have to do much with it. Just hold it up there, mm. and it definitely beat the 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 Home Alone style Walkman that I had before that. You yes, know, sir. so <laughs> <laughs> um, so you go into these all these changes in the freshman year, and I think yeah. it's a very similar experience that a lot of people go through. I mean, some people eat their way into it, you know, that, right. that, you know, with the freshman fifteen. I had the same moment of of realizing pulling myself out of my the word would be verisimilitude, the, the the life that I was in with my parents, with my identity attached to them, mm-hmm. my identity attached to my family. And then yeah. when you get rid of that, it's almost like you, you take a snowflake and put it on a black background and then you're like, oh, you can finally see it for what it is. Mm-hmm. And, all, and, mm-hmm. and when you do that, you kind of have that moment of going, who am I really? Or like, right. And not even just that, but you're a freshman in college and so you're really kind of going – 
who can I be? Because right. I'm just this big old ball of clay from like my, my parents, like literally in a 20th, 20th century parent's womb, you know, mm-hmm. you're mm-hmm. still kind of unformed, really. Right. Know? And I don't think, I, it was, it's weird because I feel, when I was in school, or that freshman year, and I was taking these classical music history courses and classical trumpet lessons and, uh, I mean, you know, music theory and everything like that, um, it it never felt, I never truly, I don't think, connected to it. Mm-hmm. But so many college kids don't ever connect to the classes that they take and they just kind of continue the motions because that's what they're told they're supposed mm-hmm. to do. And I guess I was lucky in the sense that I realized so early on that that it that didn't make sense but something else did simultaneously mm-hmm. and i realized like you know if i if i actually choose to devote more of my energies over to this realm i'll be happier yeah. and i think that was the kind of realization that i had my freshman year of college i remember going to my my uh, trumpet professor's office and mm-hmm. basically yeah. saying like thanks for everything i'm not going to continue with you anymore yeah, this, is, <laughs> this is not a me thing anymore right right and um and then I just, uh, I mean, kind of from, from there on out, I I kept performing around uh, the University of Minnesota campus, uh-huh. uh, writing more songs. I, I formed a, a band-ish thing that was consisted of my my RA of my of my floor, uh-huh. who was a beatboxer, okay. my roommate who was a cellist, and then this girl down the hall who I think uh, liked me, and she became the singer. And I, I didn't know if I liked her or not, but uh-huh. because there was so much... Uh, flattery going on just kind of was like all right you know yeah. let's sing together i yeah. think that's that's the the beginning of every musician's relationship it's true it's <laughs> let's true. sing together right i don't think i could ever date a musician i i mm. I, I you know i don't think i've ever tried i, I don't know maybe it's just because i have an egomaniacal sense you know, of, of needing all the attention i don't think i've ever dated a musician either seriously yeah. uh you know it's it's risky getting into relationships with other musicians absolutely um and right because there's always going to be that that competition thing yeah. going on and and uh you know it's it's difficult enough just uh dating somebody in the world of having to create your own profession yeah and and really your own career and rising in your career and seeing the other person rise or fall yeah and then you're comparing yourself to each other's so it's like well this person's making this amount or this person's making that amount and you don't really have to deal with that in college or anything like that we're no. all on the same journey you yeah. know right it's just you're just kind of waking up you know at the crack of noon and right. you don't have class <laughs> sometimes when you do have class yeah i remember there was this one shakespeare course that i made it to two times uh-huh yeah Two times in an entire semester. <laughs> they shouldn't have had it at 8 o'clock in the morning. See, well, my 8 o'clock in the morning class was some music history course, and my roommate, the cellist, mm. and I, uh, we, it was, I think, three times a week at 8 a.m., mm. and so I remember we went one day, uh, and we, we took a test, and then we kind of skipped the next three weeks worth of classes and then went three weeks later and there was an exam that day of the oh, previous three weeks. That was kind of the beginning of the end of, of my uh, music education career. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I can understand that. I lasted for six uh, six days in a, in music, um, not music education, I think it was just general thing. It was kind yeah. of the, the first year. But um, I went to a very music-heavy school mm-hmm. and, and uh, I, I immediately became a non uh, a non music major yeah, yeah. I, I don't know it um I guess there was a certain sense in my own head that I was like you know what? I don't want to know how they make the sausage do you know what I mean right yeah. yeah it it definitely took a lot of the joy out of it yeah. I loved music so much and music has always been with me and I there there was never a moment in my life where it it clicked it's just always been there like mm-hmm. I I don't remember beginning to play piano, but there's a photo of me at one standing on the piano bench, plunking away yeah. at the keys. And I mean, I'm, I'm like self-taught on piano. Now, and were guitar. your parents at all uh, musical? Mm, not. My mom is tone deaf and okay. my dad claps on one and three. So, you know, I, <laughs> there okay. really isn't much there. So what was the impetus to like have a piano there or to give you lessons and all that? You know, there was just a piano in the house. It was my grandfather's piano, and I just gravitated towards it and, and started 
just figuring stuff out and I was mm-hmm. I started writing some simple songs to stuff that I thought sounded instrumental songs that I thought sounded good when I was like six or mm-hmm. something but um, and I begged my my mom for piano lessons okay. uh, which I think is kind of the opposite of how it normally yeah, that's goes exactly the opposite like it's usually right. this compulsory thing that you get pushed towards yeah, right yeah I, I had to go to my piano lessons yeah. you know yeah. my, my dad grew up I'm I grew up with my dad being a musician and, oh. and oh. you know my mom is tone deaf as well okay so we you share that with our mothers <laughs> what do your parents do uh, my dad's a social worker okay uh, he's been a social worker uh, pretty much his whole life um, and my mom she is a, a, a master's in, in school guidance counseling so she did that mm-hmm. for a bit um during my my early years and then uh she's been on her own uh exploration journey since mm-hmm. then um how i think a lot of people are just yeah. you know she she hasn't really settled into another uh, career necessarily but they both have that background and so i've always really had this um this kind of um uh, look out for your fellow person mm-hmm. kind of mentality. Uh, my family never, we didn't have much money growing up. Um, I mean, a social work and a guidance counselor. I mean, yeah. if you can believe yeah. it. Yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> right. I think that's They're a Hallmark movie. Yeah. yeah. It's like the social worker <laughs> and the guidance counselor. Right, right. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, so, you know, I, I definitely had this, uh, kind of a, a social justice, uh, kind of mentality uh throughout my life that mm-hmm. i didn't necessarily fully realize until i got to college and there mm-hmm. was a lot of those other people around and, and things were actually happening we actually were uh supposed to pay attention to politics and world mm-hmm. issues and everything like that and i had to kind of step back because i never cared about that in high school yeah um and then in in college i, I started to kind of get more involved and more active and more political yeah. and well this and, seems to be a substrate uh, substrate of a lot of uh, of the democratic midwesterner that is is very very familiar in that area in in minnesota and in, in yeah in that area well growing up in in like madison wisconsin is a very progressive city mm-hmm. uh wisconsin is i mean it goes back and forth like wisconsin currently has a republican governor and republican uh i think senator i've lost track um but in minnesota is kind of around the same way but but madison and minneapolis are very progressive cities and Mm -hmm. so going from madison to minneapolis i kind of uh settled into into that um and you know i was in in school i I became very political and then i kind of settled down a few Mm -hmm. years later when i realized that it was just all uh i don't know it was just it was just uh difficult and and not difficult but just uh frustrating i should say yeah Yeah, it it just became so frustrating i'm like you know what i if we just like i think like a lot of our generation kind of is now rising above politics and just trying not to dip our our toes into the murky disgusting waters infested waters right now well really there's the rock and the hard place of the idea of the socio-political climate that we're in i mean we're trying to figure out like you know trying to figure out idealism versus pragmatic pragmatic view of the world there we can argue like all day long about which is the least evil demon that is Mm -hmm. in in the beltway but i mean and i personally yeah i i I don't know if I ever was political myself. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't know what was what were the causes that you were kind of leaning towards with. with well, I mean, politics. it really, but that's I mean, that's a good point. So which is the least <laughs> evil demon, and that that's kind of you know when you have to when you have to define that or when you have to ask yourself that question, there's something seriously wrong with mm-hmm. the system. But I don't know what it necessarily was. I, I think it, it was. Um, my first few years in in, in college that that uh it, there was a political election going on it was the 2004 Carrie Bush election mm-hmm. and so uh that was taking over the university that was taking over campus and and so i started uh kind of reading up on the issues and really started to get involved and i didn't i didn't um you know, it's lucky that my, my parents never forced anything down our throats and i was never right political growing up but um i kind of just started getting involved in that election and um, and really, I guess noticing that I I could make a difference mm-hmm. it, for whatever that difference I, I thought was at the time. I joined a uh, a young voters uh, or what was it? It was like a yeah, it was like a, a, a voter uh, get out the vote yeah, get group out the vote. or something yeah, like yeah. that to just like get more people to vote in Minnesota. Yeah, and so you know I'd go around and register people to vote, and it wasn't it wasn't a political thing necessarily in in terms of like supporting a political candidate or party, mm. but it was a uh, 
let your voice be heard. Yeah, let's yeah. get more people to vote. And then it was it was um, like a few months after the election, they came out with their list of the top ten uh, states with voter turnout. In Minnesota, mm-hmm. happened to be number one. I'm hey. like, wow, I made a difference. Like, <laughs> I helped get people to vote. Yeah. That was like, you know, uh, it was um, it was something that that I, I, I saw like that it was a, a tangible difference that was being made. Um, and yeah, but I, you know, and it's, it's kind of, I had a, this, this fury, uh, in, <clears throat> in school that, that I think a lot of people, uh, have, yeah. uh, and, and for a little while it was devoted to politics, but I, I soon drifted from that when, um, when I guess I, I got more serious about music mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and really kind of started concentrating more on, on my, uh, just like the 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 future of, of what I was gonna where I was gonna take my career and, mm-hmm. and everything like that and realize that I could have a, a career in music which yeah. is something that was was like this was like this uh, well I mean growing up in, in high school and going to see these these bands like going to see real big fish and going yeah. to see the Dave Matthews band and fish and all these bands that I was kind of into in high school and they're performing these at least uh like Dave Matthews and Fish, they're performing these huge stages, and it's like this is this 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 like godlike experience mm-hmm. that that I was like it's transcendent. Totally, yeah. Yeah, it is transcendent. I was like this is this is totally unattainable. Yeah. Um. But as I kind of grew older, I'm just like, all right, well, here's I guess this is the kind of path that the that I could take to mm-hmm. to theoretically reach a point, maybe not to that scale, but at least uh, to sustainability in mm-hmm. doing something that I really love doing. Um. It's a, we're in an interesting period of time as far as uh, the music industry goes. And the music industry, I have a really – every now and then I have to pull myself out of um, you know the, the malaise of the culture that I'm in right now because it always feels like right, well, the way it is right now is mm-hmm. the way it's always been. And that's just being – that's the problem of being human. Mm-hmm. But you think like 100 years ago, I mean, yeah. there was no music industry. There was, there, right. there was none. I mean you had maybe you know the Medicis would take care of you if you were an Italian composer right, or right. like maybe some very – very rich Viennese people could, yeah. you know, put a little money in the coffer of Mozart or that sort of a thing. But we don't have we that before this century, the twentieth yeah. century, we didn't have any of this, and we're just and we latch ourselves so so tightly to the uh, the model that we're that is in flux right now. Well, I mean, absolutely, and I think we're in such a Renaissance era right uh-huh. now, and we were going to look back on this in fifty years and and look at our generation that was really one of the the biggest turning points of uh, the modern music industry. Yeah. Um. And and you know, I come from. I mean, we both come from where our generation of of uh, music makers. Um, it was right at the the kind of the the, the edge mm-hmm. of the the uh, the former uh, music industry as it was. Whereas, yeah. like you know, ten years ago, the way to, the only way to succeed was to get a record label or mm-hmm. get a record deal and and you know play that game and go through that system. Yeah. Um. But when I started to get into it, I realized this, and I realized this, I guess. Uh, more uh intrinsically i mean i guess by by uh doing it like i i realized when i was when i was on the university of minnesota campus that if i promoted my shows myself if i like went around campus putting up posters and handing out flyers uh and talked to people and got them to come to the show they would actually come and then like i started that doing that with all my shows and i started bringing a lot of people to my shows and that turned into them paying the cover price and turned into giving you know uh making money from those shows Mm -hmm. and then like selling cds i'm like wow this is interesting like i'm actually making money doing this and there's nobody else really helping me Mm -hmm. do it and then i started taking that to other cities and started um and it was like I kind of fell into it and then when Facebook and YouTube and MySpace and, and all of that came out and I looked at those as, as tools to mm-hmm. kind of aid in the the journey and in the process and, and um, what I knew uh, was working at least for me on my level, which was how do I get more people out to these shows and I like approached these all as tools and I never – you know, I I didn't really look at getting a record deal – as uh the what i wanted to obtain that was never something that was um that w- that was like important to me early on it was, mm-hmm. the, what was important was how am i going to get 400 people to my next show in minneapolis or yeah. how am i going to get 50 people out to my show in madison and how am i going to get you know a show booked in chicago yeah. you know yeah. and uh 
And I think we're lucky in that sense, or at least a lot of younger musicians are lucky in the sense that um, we never tasted the the old system. Yeah, I never tasted the old mm. system, so I don't know what it's like to have a label doing everything for me, and I just get to sit back and create music. Yeah, which probably was incredible. Like, yeah, of course, you know, every artist would love to just spend it all day, every day creating their art and have every you know other people um, pay them for it. Yeah, I but mean, there's yeah. a difficulty in that though. I mean, I, I I think that I caught the very very tail end. I actually mm-hmm. um, I was invited to the party right when they were cleaning up. Yeah, <laughs> um, I had a period of time around 2004 2005 where I took a bunch of meetings with uh, with. Uh, Def, not Def Jam Records, but, uh, but Island Records and oh, yeah. Warner Brothers with Maverick and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And it was, it felt like the if I, if you took a meeting with me mm-hmm. a week later, you were going to be fired, and the whole company was going to be downsized because <laughs> that was like every single every single right. time oh I'd call gosh. to follow up with, and they, yeah. it would be oh, like, no longer work he doesn't here, work right? here anymore. Where does he work? I don't know. He's trying to do his own startup from his garage because we just shit canned him. <laughs> It's, it was not. It was that huge, you know, just gutting of that yeah. whole. Industry. And I do have some friends that lived through that and were in, in part of that. And mm-hmm. and uh, the ones that are able to actually survive are the people that have been the most malleable. The people that have realized uh, from the start that yeah. they had to put their own their own uh, thought and, and creativity and and guts in their career. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. I want to go back a little bit. How you said the terms that you used, which is a key indicator to the psychology from which you pursue your career is you said that mm-hmm. that facebook myspace all the social networks yeah. uh, help you do that thing as opposed yeah. to do that thing for you because there's a lot of people that can use those things and they say oh, i don't know why i didn't bring anybody to my show i put it up on a facebook event right and i i think um what i what i learned early on was that there isn't one you you can't just utilize one specific avenue mm-hmm. um to do to promote anything that you have if it's a if it's a new record or if it's a show i mean my background i built my career on playing shows and bringing people to shows and so that's where like the majority of my experience was mm-hmm. and i um you know i i never uh i don't have the experience like people who may have worked at a record company on launching a global album yeah. you know beyonce style but like i know how to sell out a local show like i i did that um, and tour regionally and then tour nationally and book shows nationally and how to talk to booking agents and everything like that. Um, and you, and I learned that I have to utilize all the tools. And, and so I, I, um, a lot of musicians, younger musicians kind of come to me and ask me, uh, like, how did I get started? How did I do all this? And, and, um, because I, I did everything on my own because mm-hmm. I, you know, I've played over 500 shows where I booked almost every one of those things and, and like, just like started learning that and, you know, I take a look at their, they send me their stuff and I take a look at it and it's just like, you know, they may be really good at Facebook, but that's it. And they're mm-hmm. like, all right, Facebook is the way I can, I can, I, all my friends, I have 2000 friends on Facebook, but mm-hmm. why are only 13 people coming to my shows kind of thing? Yeah. And right. And it's just like, I think utilizing all of these tools, um, I, I learned early on, it's just like, you know, you hit people from all angles yeah. and, um, I think, you know, I think like way back in the day. Like putting up posters locally, that's always been with us since the creation of being like Kinkos, you know, Um, people have been able to do that. But, uh, uh, you know, and that's kind of how I started was was like the posters and the flyers route. Mm -hmm. And then when Facebook came out, I'm like, oh, here's another way I'm going to I'm going to message people along with the posters and the flyers, along with the posters and the flyers. And then YouTube came out and then I started using that. And so like all these new mediums um, and and, uh, that that come out, I I use them in addition to Mm -hmm. everything. And I think. Right, like the most successful artists, um, especially those who who were on a major label or who had that kind of global, uh, at least you know, success for for a minute, um, have learned that by using kind of all of the resources that are that exist right now is is the way that they can sustain a career. Mm-hmm. And I don't know necessarily if there's going to be, um, I mean, they'll still be the superstars, but. You know, I think the the modern music industry and, and the, the the system that a lot of uh, the musicians that that I'm surrounded by and, and what I'm in, we don't necessarily look at uh, success as being reaching superstardom. Mm-hmm. I mean, that'd be amazing. We'd all love to tour arenas, but it's not. You know, we don't consider ourselves. I don't think failures. 
um, if we don't reach that point. Like I think most musicians I know that have kind of matured a little bit and reached to a point of sustainability is just like, all right, this is, uh, I'm happy doing this. I can make enough money as more or less like a middle class musician. Yeah. Um, which, you know, I don't know if really existed before. And I think we're kind of moving into that realm where there's a lot of musicians um, who can survive touring and, and getting songs licensed and, um, you know, teaching lessons and, you know, maybe doing, putting up YouTube videos and making some money. There's like so many more ways to make money. Um, and it's just if like you utilize and, and, and access those avenues, um, it's it's possible it's it's a lot of work and i think yeah that's the thing i was gonna ask you about the, the amount of legwork that it takes to go into these kind of things Say, for example just for the sake of encapsulating yeah. your methods um you have a hometown show how would you how would you start that and how would when would the promo begin and how much promo would you put in and from which angles right i mean um when i was uh i kind of I'll, I'll take like Minneapolis for when I was there because Los Angeles is a completely different beast. Yeah, we're not gonna. Yeah, no. that's, we'll get <laughs> but, to that. Yeah. Right, but but Minneapolis was was great. So I would. Um, I think the biggest thing that a lot of um, uh, that I learned early on was that you have to spread out your shows, and so people that are playing, you know, every other week, there's no way that you're going to get people to come to every one of those shows. Like even mm-hmm. if your favorite artist was playing multiple times a month in your town, you wouldn't go to every show. Yeah. Um. And so I learned to spread out my show. So I would, I would maybe play a show uh, once every couple months. Mm-hmm. And so then I could take each show and make it a big event. And I would usually title the show to create an event around it. So, um create a theme for each show each show had a special theme it wasn't just like Ari Herstan's playing the varsity again play it was, some of his songs but, right 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 and uh, so every show had a theme had an event if it wasn't like a record release it was another kind of theme it was uh, a holiday show it was a winter show I got a bunch of bands together one of my most successful and favorite shows I ever did was I got three other buzzing bands together um, in in Minneapolis and I called the show the unknown order and there were just four bands on the bill and nobody knew who was going to play first or last or what the order was and so if you wanted to see your favorite band you had to get the right the at the beginning night. yeah and they would pick a name from a hat 10 minutes before each band would play and uh we sold out the show 10 minutes after doors open and it was amazing it was like 800 people there amazing and it was like you know i learned there i was like wow i you know title my shows that's that's what we should do so like by titling the shows making every show an event and then, you know, I always, I had a street team, which was like friends who wanted, you know, could get in free to the shows and we'd go around, we'd have poster evenings where uh-huh. we would go around town, um, in the bitter cold Minneapolis <laughs> oh, <laughs> nights, we'd bundle cold. up. Like, don't, yeah. you're like, don't hang out too long cause you'll die. <laughs> right. You'll cold. die. Right. It, it's, it's, oh I mean, so we would bundle up and we would go around town with our staple guns and our, our duct tape rolls and we would mm-hmm. go put posters up everywhere. And then we'd usually go and I treat everyone to hot chocolate or something something like that and pizza afterwards Great. and then get into the show for free and so you know and then i'd print up maybe uh, a few hundred flyers and because a lot of my shows were on the university of minnesota around campus and that's kind of where i started um we'd pass them out during like uh when people were walking in between classes or mm-hmm. we i had i got some people who lived in the dorms and they would go distribute them the flyers and under everyone's doors and i made yeah like uh <laughs> awesome. right it was, it was great and then uh i mean one show uh yeah i mean we'd get you know uh i had some demo cds kind of made up and we'd hand those out um and then of course you know facebook and and um MySpace and that stuff, like we, you know, create the Facebook event and whatnot, and uh, but we made each show an event, and and it was kind of something that that I realized, um, you know, this was this was actually like working, and then we got people, and then and then at the show. Uh, we made it kind of a fun experience. Like there was, you know, um, you know, for the Unknown Order show, that was fun and electric. We had a, a, um, a screen print of the poster that you could win. And I had like, I had, uh, for everyone who bought advanced tickets, I had gift bags for them. And so wow, they would dude. show up and you'd get a gift bag of like stickers and, and other swag from all the bands. And, um, and then you get an, entered into a raffle to win a screen print of the, of the poster. And then we'd announce it on stage and yeah. that person would come up and we did facebook and twitter contests where um if you shared the event um then and then wrote mission accomplished on the facebook event uh you got entered into the contest to win like 
a $50 package of merchandise from the bands and stuff like that. And so, you know, a lot of those things started, started working and this was like such a, like a DIY kind of mm-hmm. level of just like doing it all. But it was, it's, it's a lot of work. And I think yeah. I'm, I'm lucky that I am able to kind of split myself in half and, and send half of myself to the business side and concentrate on putting mm-hmm. all of that together. And then the other half of myself I can send to creating the music and rehearsing and writing the songs. Um, That's a rare gift, man. I do have to say. It's, you know, and I didn't realize how rare it was yeah. um, until I started meeting a lot of other musicians who just kind of shut down when I ever, when I started talking business and in Minneapolis, like, uh, some of my favorite musicians of all time uh, were, were other bands that I played with in Minneapolis and just incredible artists, just such brilliant, brilliant artists with amazing gifts um, and songs. And But they shut down and could not handle the business. Yeah. And, you know, they just weren't growing as fast as they should have. And they weren't, um, you know, they, just like if they didn't have other people doing it for them, they just couldn't do it. And I see that all the time and it, and it, it breaks my heart that, that these incredibly talented bands don't do it. And that's what, you know, that's why managers exist. And mm-hmm. that's kind of why labels still exist, if, be it on an independent level yeah. to, to, for those people who kind of can handle the business and are good at that can find those talented artists and do that. But if you don't have that relationship with somebody, you need it still needs to get done if yeah. you want to succeed. And that was something that, I mean, once I left the university of Minnesota, I, I spent a few semesters at a, uh, contemporary music industry school, similar to Berkeley, but in, in Minnesota studying music business. And I just mm-hmm. kind of like got the quick tools to kind of like learn the, understand the business side a little bit. And then I just kind of got out and started doing it. And yeah. so it was like, that got me thinking in that realm. Percolating your mind. Yeah. You know? It's like, okay, there is a business to music and now how do we figure out how to do the, you know, yeah. make money doing it? Yeah. That's, it's interesting. I mean, I think my music, uh, business education begins and ends with the Donald Passman book oh you know? yeah, yeah that's got, a, where mine began oh, yeah, absolutely yeah. so i i i've had many many talks with friends who like have an idea about it um my uh, buddy of mine that i call every time something comes up mm-hmm. he's just one of those guys where his his business acuity is such that you like every time you talk to him about certain things it's that he's he's got he's got the record labels kind of around his finger and mm. then pulled him over a barrel he's just good at that kind of a thing yeah and he's a he, he's a great creative guy but i think you're, you're absolutely right there are there are hundreds and hundreds of thousands of incredibly great musicians mm-hmm. that um that probably have the kind of music that is transformative or at least like the top five percentile of the world but yeah the fact of the matter remains is that you have to be good at business you, you just have to be good at business or right. you have to be good at reading people to be able to to know it because i mean hell uh we say like oh it wasn't like the old days mm-hmm. but the, the old days i mean they'd get screwed over constantly right. luckily they the they were making such behemoth mountains of money right, that they right. could like like the stones the stones yeah. had to leave england because yeah. like of taxes because, right, right. because they got screwed over in business <laughs> yeah and they had to do that and yeah. so and 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 luckily you know they were one of the biggest bands in the world and continue mm-hmm. to be one of the biggest bands in the world so they could make that money back in a reasonable amount of time but they weren't mm-hmm. decimated like so many of these people get yeah. it always reminds you of rocky four where he gave all his money away the, oh no it's rocky five i think I forget uh, what it is. they kind um, of blur together uh, they, for me. They, they kinda, as well <laughs> they should as well but, but you know rocky you know has his brother-in-law you know give this business manager money and it's shady but i mean yeah one thing that really stuck uh, with me that I saw recently. Have you seen the documentary Running Down a Dream by Peter Bogdanovich about uh, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers? No. I you got to check that out. It's yeah. four hours. Okay. It's, it's, it, you get, a, you yeah. get into it. But yeah. there's a there's a moment where they, I mean, Tom Petty and, and the Heartbreakers, they all kind of formed in Florida mm-hmm. and then all came out here you know, as a band called Mud Crutch. But, mm-hmm. but that you slowly begin to see immediately how how Tom Petty, although a brilliant lyricist and a brilliant songwriter and mm-hmm. a unique voice and all that stuff, yeah. has got that that division that you've got in your brain where he's oh, got like, okay, this business, is this yeah. and this is my business side that I'm mm-hmm. going to be. I mean, they got in a huge war with a record label in the, hmm. in the late 70s. Wow. Yeah. Just massive. And, and, uh, but he was able to fight it yeah. S- smart yeah. and and win. Most people you know, don't know those kinds of stories, the behind-the-scenes stories. And I actually, for the longest time... Um, was pretty insecure 
about sharing that in every mm-hmm. interview i tried to hide it i tried yeah. to say like oh yeah no i just write music and uh, play songs and yeah. and i connect with people with and my that's music the conceit, and, man that's the conceit yeah. that was for years and years and years and for in many ways it was true like you get these like like even up until the late 90s these artists that go like i don't really know man i just sort of float around right and right, i grab right. my guitar and i pull the brain the brain right, juices right. out and then you go like oh and then you just like vomit up creativity <laughs> and we will all right. buy it in droves right. and then other people take care of that stuff those are all like our idols and so i'd yeah. listen to their interviews and, and read their interviews and it was all right all art all mm-hmm. the time and and these crazy muses that they had and and i'm like wow i want to be like that and then when i got and got deep into it and i was spending half of my time on the business side of music but i never wanted to share that with anyone who asked me about music mm-hmm. uh, like interviewers or or anything like that and then eventually I just got to a point where I was like, you know what? This is actually – this is part of my story and I'm yeah. not – it's like it's an important part of the story. But for the longest time it, – because it's not romantic. It's no. You know? Like, no, it's not. Like having to put up posters uh, in the dead of winter – and like and and you know printing them up and having to create all that shit on my own and I don't know posters know. in the dead of winter with maybe, you maybe with, a, with, a, with a pea right. coat you know <laughs> kind of sitting there with your Going collar turned it, up right. against the cold looking out onto the lonely street <laughs> hope someone comes to this show right right yeah. I guess looking back on it, it you could you could turn that into a, a and pretty that's romantic what, yeah, movie and that's what happens but, with people they I've thought about this a lot this yeah. uh, this kind of mystique that people like to leave out the nuts and the bolts of something right. and give it this whole like romantic sheen on the whole thing and you know there are certain uh, certain friends of mine, certain famous friends of mine that mm-hmm. doggedly, even to like, hey, we're friends, we get it, you know, yeah. kind of hold on to that sort of mystique. And you're like, I know that you're machinating like a Swiss watch. Yeah. Cogs are moving <laughs> and you get it, dude. Yeah. Don't give me that whole like, oh, I really know right, that, right, do right. I? Like, like, you know, the muse just comes to me right. and I write it down. It's a very strange thing. People like to believe. I think I've had this theory for a long time that people like to project the idea that it shows them out that that it mm-hmm. picked them that yeah, they are right. so good that they are so preternaturally talented right, that they are right. so they are so above the fray yeah. that that uh, <laughs> the art gods reached down and plucked <laughs> them out and they they right. never they never have to put their mind to that sort of a thing because they are that much better than everyone else and i think it it in terms of songwriting as well i mean i um, I, so many young songwriters have such insecurities about oh, yeah. the, the way that they approach songwriting and we're, you know, they're so afraid that they're copying somebody else. And that was like, that was the, the, the gravest sin mm-hmm. in the early songwriting was, was that your song sounded like mm-hmm. another song is, is, you know, God forbid, right. Yeah. God forbid. But I, I went to this, uh, incredible, um, little uh, song sharing concert by Dan Wilson um, and called words and music. And he does these occasionally uh, for those listening who don't know Dan Wilson shame, but uh, no, you you, know who you do know. know He he wrote uh, someone like you with Adele and he wrote closing time is semi-sonic. Another Minneapolis guy. He's from Minneapolis. Um, So anyway, I went to this incredible um, concert where he, Basically, uh, I was just solo acoustic and he talked about the process of songwriting all these songs. And every song he would talk about how he wrote it. And before one of the songs, he's like, you know, this one came from a Coldplay song. And I was just playing, I really loved this Coldplay song and I just kept playing it over and over again. And he's like, you know, if you just, if you just play somebody else's song over and over again, it, it eventually s- ceases to become their song and starts to become your song. I'm like, Holy shit, like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> if Dan Wilson, one of the biggest songwriters in the world, with mm-hmm. one of the most successful songwriters in the world, can do that, like, it totally set me at ease. I'm like, man, okay, I've done yeah. that before, but I've done that, uh, you know, I, I, I've never admit yeah. ever that I would Even do lied that. to yourself about <laughs> right. it, kind of go like, no, no, this is my own creative juice. Right. But that's the funny thing about creativity, especially because when you try to quantify it, it, it's, it comes from, Every bit of of your senses that come through to you. I mean, they, mm-hmm. like whether you realize it or not. There's, I mean, happens a lot. Speaking of the Stones, um, they that song "Constant Craving" by Katie Lang. Uh huh. Um, it, when they put out, I forget which record it was on, but has anybody seen my baby? Uh-huh. Anybody seen my baby? But uh, turns out they right before they went to the pressing, they they realized, oh crap. We accidentally wrote a Katie Lang song, <laughs> yeah, because Mick was listening to it over and over again, right. and so they gave her writing credit. Oh yeah. yeah, I mean that was like um, uh, the Beach Boys and Surfing USA with the Chuck Berry song. Like yeah. they they 
didn't realize that until the lawsuit came on their doorstep <laughs> and they listened to it and was like oh yeah this is actually identical yeah and so now you'll see chuck berry's name as a as a writing credit on on surfing usa but, yeah. but a similar kind of right and uh you know i mean it's it's uh all music is derivative and i think uh eventually every songwriter gets to the point of where they're just comfortable enough with their craft and with their art mm-hmm. where they can communicate what they're what they want to say and they're comfortable enough and they can pull from so many different sources um of inspiration and and uh just um you know music that they because they've studied enough or they've they've done it enough they've practiced enough they've written enough where they know that at least they're releasing something that um you know is, is true to who they are yeah it has the biomarkers of their own thing and i think that there's there's a certain comfortability from having just done it a lot like you were saying is 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 realizing that anything that you write is gonna be a you thing because you wrote it right right and there's a part of you that there's been times when i've written like really rock songs i'm Mm -hmm. like it's kind of like a right right like i'm not that guy i don't saunter around like i'm if anything like i'm i'm anxietous and sit with my head in the corner (laughs) going like oh god God, the world's but it's part of you but it's a part definitely part there's, there's, and, a, there's a rock cock in there yeah, somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, um, I realized that, that all of my albums, uh, are kind of like these, these mixtapes. Cause I'm the same way. Whereas like, I don't have a, uh, a specific, uh, corner that I exist in of, of the musical spectrum, like so yeah. many other singer songwriters do. Mm-hmm. Like I go to see all these singer songwriters at the hotel cafe and it's like, oh yeah, every song is them it, it's yeah. like that's them they're an acoustic guitar they're singing and and then like i listen to my my album or i'm creating this record and you know one is an acoustic song and then one is a rock with your cock out song and yeah. then another one i got a full horn section going on another one i got gospel singers I'm like what the fuck is yeah. this and it's like really difficult from you know i i it's like this uh duality that exists that when i look at this i'm like well on one hand it's cool because it's different and unique and there's so many different styles going in this but the other mm-hmm. it's like who am i i have no idea what i'm doing right but now but then also the, the, yeah you know i I've, <laughs> right? I've, I've i've felt that but you know the converse uh, argument on that is that uh is that if I went to see you and mm-hmm. you played all those songs with all these different elements that you mentioned, I'd be like, "Oh yeah, those are Ari's songs." Right. Yeah, that's that's what he's that's what he's doing. Yeah. Because I because I can see you can't see it, but I can right. see that the thing and yeah that that ability to kind of and and not only as a as an artist but as a person being able to like ex- get to that point of like self acceptance, which is just massively huge, and you know like f- trying to find a unicorn, right? Uh, especially <laughs> self acceptance. I mean, right. yeah. I mean, well, the the difficulty, especially as we're getting, we feel more and more marginalized as artists because we're in a, a weird phase mm-hmm. um, people aren't giving us hundreds of thousands of dollars to sit around and write and drink mimosas right <laughs> um, we're we're kind of you know having to we're having to do a lot of our stuff ourselves and the monetary incentive is changing where we're making the money isn't where it was so it feels like there's this weird sense of val- uh, validity that we're looking for yeah we used to be literally like I've sold this many records well, this I, is how good I am right no absolutely and I think I th- uh, you know uh, initially um the validity happens uh when you're on stage and people are at your show yeah you know showering you with this love and praise mm-hmm. and it's like oh wow like okay i'm Me. doing something you know mm-hmm. that that uh it, it makes sense and, and is affecting people and and that's and that's like i think what every performer initially falls in love with is yeah. that feeling yeah um regardless. some people turn that into their baseline you know it's like, right. like so i can be fine as long as hundreds of people are looking at me with love right <laughs> and other people you know can't bring seven people to their concerts but are writing uh music you know making so much money mm. with music they're writing you know co-writing with for other artists or mm. they're they're licensing their music to tv shows and movies and you know using their talents uh, within music uh, to bring in so much money and they're validated that way. It's like, yeah. you know what? Okay, I can use my talents. And it's this give and take because like the artists, you know, especially like, um, you know, I could bring a lot of people to my concerts for a while, but I wasn't making so much money and it was just really difficult to like spend so much time on the road. Mm. Um, and, and it's just like, all right, it's this balance of just like now, uh, now figuring out, I think in, in this modern DIY world is just like figuring out, okay, what, how am I able to use my talents that I'm going to bring in, in enough money to survive and that also makes me happy and live the life that I kind of want to live? Yeah. And I think, you know, I guess that's the question that everyone asks themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, but we kind of have 
the benefit that uh, there are so many different roads and paths that we can pursue within the realm of music. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just this constant exploration. And I'm constantly exploring. Like I, you know, uh, when I moved out to LA three years ago, um, I had a very narrow vision of how I was going to reach point B. Mm-hmm. I was at A and I was on path to reach point B and there was one way to get there. Yeah. And that's what I thought. And then when I got here, <clears throat> surrounded by so many other creative people and all these other, you know, just in every creative field and discovered that so many people here are just doing a million different little things, you know, utilizing their talents um, to survive and to to create art, but also to bring in money, um, I realized like, wow, there's there's really not just one way to get to B. I can pursue so many different paths simultaneously mm-hmm. that are all fulfilling. That may some may bring in money, some may not, but some bring me happiness, and some you know will bring me more money and less happiness. It's like mm-hmm. the, you know there's the, a balance, this, yeah, right. This constant balance, um, and that's like one of the, I think, uh, the biggest things that I've I've really started to to understand and accept and and grow into the last few years is that, um, you know, there's, there's just this like wide open terrain for, for artists that we can kind of, if, if you, um, are open yourself up to it, Mm -hmm. um, you can, uh, you know, you can, uh, pursue multiple things simultaneously. And, uh, I think, you know, so many people just don't accept that because I think, especially coming from the Midwest where, the majority of the people they they uh they're taught that you go to school, you go to college, you graduate from college, you get a job that's nine to five mm-hmm. in a career that you're in the rest of your life. You marry yeah. someone, you raise kids. That's the end of your life, and there's yeah. no deviance from that plan. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I was taught. That's what everyone was taught. I mean, I remember I told my guidance counselor my sophomore year of, of high school when she came into the classes and asking, like, what does everybody want to do? And I'm like, oh, I want to be a, a musician, a rock star. And everybody cracked up and laughed. And, and she's like, you know, you have a better chance to become a professional basketball player than you do a professional musician. I'm like, yeah. clearly, you've never seen me on the court. But, yeah. I, <laughs> you know, but it was like it was it was so suppressed. Yeah. And, it just wasn't encouraged. And so I thought, all right, so that's where I came from. Like, all right, well, if I'm going to pursue music, I guess there's only one way to do it. Yeah. And, and that's to get a nine to five job right. or in this, in this <laughs> case, a seven to three job. Right, right. Maybe to exactly. four if you're going to be grading papers. <laughs> right, right. Can't imagine you'd be doing papers with a band. But yeah. 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 That's, that's an interesting thing. You broke out of that. I mean, the, that was probably the first year of college, you know, right. the finding yourself thing. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting when you come from our own, uh, that first year of college, I think that like, I honestly think that they shouldn't take grades for that first year of college. Yeah. I think that they sh- you should just roll in and just be able to take some classes, right. pass or fail whether or not you show up. Just show up to class, kid. Right, That's right. all you need to do because – I mean, damn, man, it's just it, like that period of your life is. So I don't even know if people tumultuous. like right don't grade first year of college or just don't go to college for a year or two because they're doing just- that's what they do in Europe. They yeah, call, they they get, the gap year, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I you know, I think everyone needs uh this this time to explore and I think um a lot more people would be a lot happier if they realized that. And I think we're in a time just in um our, you know, country and the world right now is just like that people are discovering that the the secure job uh that you strive for um, isn't as secure as we were taught and really doesn't necessarily exist. Like I have so many friends who went to school and followed the system back in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. They, you know, they got their degree. They did well in school. They did everything they're supposed to. Now they can't find a job. Yeah. And there's so many people that can't find jobs. And it's like, you know, if you don't necessarily concentrate as much on what everybody's telling you your path should be and just do something that makes you happy, and do it really well you'll be able to you know survive doing that somehow you'll figure it out mm-hmm. i mean eventually yeah, it's as long scary as, ma- as long as you maintain a certain sense of malleability man that's mm-hmm. always been my thing is is i had the idea of what my career was going to look like and and right, and, right. W- and the way in which i wanted to make it happen mm-hmm. and when certain things certain really great golden opportunities would come up to me yeah. but they weren't in line with my weird vision for what i had for myself i would shirk them maybe totally. not even like seek after them kind of 
poo-poo them. You know, mm-hmm. people would come up to me, uh, friends, family members, people on the outside of my own brain and all this, it's, it's weird schisms and go like, yeah. uh, are you very high right now? Can you not see that that's a great thing? It's like, really? I didn't, but that's right. not, I'm supposed to be the indie guy in the right. corner that right. like everybody respects, exactly. you know, and just, and is left alone to do his work. And I think, you know, right, exactly. That's, that's what everyone was talking. I think, you know, we're finally getting to a place where people start to understand that, you know, there are many paths to reach where you, you have want to cast reach a and, wide net. You're yeah. Right. Yeah. And, uh, I think that's the biggest things that I, I've kind of learned over the last couple of years and it, and it's, it's better for that. And I've like, I've, I've, um, you know, and I started, uh, the blog, uh, Ari's take a, yeah, a year ago. On that, yeah. Oh yeah. Well, I, I mean, I started that to kind of help musicians learn from my experiences and kind of, and, and share those experiences with, with them because like, you know, it took, so much exploration and, and so much failure uh-huh. to get to a point of, of this understanding, uh, to where, you know, I, I now under, you know, I, I see how success can be obtained, um, in a DIY world of music. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah. And so, I mean, right. The, the Aristec blog is just, I mean, I, I kind of, uh, I started writing this because so many, uh, musicians, uh, initially in, in Minneapolis when I was living there, uh, I became like the, the go-to, uh, musician for music business advice or help or, or, you know, um, because I was kind of doing it all. Um, and then just, I got a lot of emails and Facebook messages, uh, from other musicians asking how to do various things. Like, how'd you get your songs on TV shows? How do you book these shows? How did you do a tour? How did, you know, whatever. And I was writing back to all these people. And then I got to a point where I just like, didn't have enough time mm-hmm. to respond to everybody. I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to start a blog and yeah. point people there and be like, yeah, not, not a bad idea. And you just had, uh, for your, your traveling in airplanes. You know, oh yeah. It? Yeah. yeah what, what, what was that? The milestone hit like what? 200,000. Oh, well, yeah. Something? We just passed 200,000 views. Holy I smokes. think we're at like 220,000 now in like a month, uh, which was amazing. It was, and it was, uh, the post was basically uh, that uh, you can carry your instrument on the airplane. Um, it's this new law that was signed by the president um, last year, and no one really knew about this law, but because it was a passenger rights law, and uh, and it was like snuck into page seventy four of this law yeah. by the musicians' union that I most people don't actually know exists mm-hmm. um but they've been lobbying for this for years and they finally got it in there uh whereas like they legally have to allow you to bring it in the instrument if it fits in the overhead compartment they legally have to allow you to bring it on the plane and um most people didn't know that and so that you know started to get shared all over the internet which was great and, and started bringing a lot more people to the blog um and yeah and it's just like i've kind of i've I've balanced now ari's take kind of doing these these investigative pieces mm-hmm. i just reviewed uh seven of the top uh distribution digital distribution companies out there like cd baby and tune core and mm-hmm. and um that kind of stuff um like you know for independent musicians the best way to get your music on itunes and all the other sites um and then i balance it with that uh, and also just, you know, how to book a tour. Here's a how-to guide. Here's mm-hmm. how I did it. And here's how you can do it too kind of thing. And great. just like from own experiences. And it's been great. And, and actually because of that, um, you know, I, and I never, I never really anticipated it growing into much. I was kind of just creating this blog to point musicians there and just, just like help out younger DIY musicians. Um, and now it's just like really started to grow and, and people started uh, gravitating towards it. And it's great. And it, which encourages me to write more uh, because people it's, it's, um, um, you know, people are getting something from it and I've started like writing for a lot of other blogs. And, and so now I'm, uh, and, and the digital music news, uh, there's this other big music blog. They just asked me to come and like write some articles for them and they're going to pay me, believe it. And I'm like, hey. holy shit, like I can get paid for this. Hey, look at that. There it is, man. <laughs> right. And whereas like, if I, this happened to me five years ago, I'd be like, yeah. No, like right. uh, for, a for this blogger. No, 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 forget this. Like I, I play music. That's what I do. <laughs> you know, and it's yeah. just right. It's just like another one of those avenues that, um, and it's great, and and uh, that I'm pursuing. But I'd like I, you know, I, I really like doing it. I love talking to musicians and, and helping kind of younger or musicians just like exploring the the DIY world of music and yeah. in that realm. So yeah, well, dude, thank you so much for coming in. Man. Yeah, thanks for, for having me. This is fun. Alrighty, totally.
say what you will about the state of the 21st century's music industry. Guys like Ari, they're going to be okay. They're going to be more than okay. They're going to lead people into a new phase. Well, let's just hope that my neuroplasticity can handle it. I mean, hell, I got enough anxiety for uh, for the old model to just kill myself with. Who knows? All right, let's dig it out of the gutter, Jake. You got way too much to do to kick your can up and down the street. Continue to like and subscribe. Share this with your friends. Tweet about it. Post about it on your Facebook page. Let's spread the word. We've got a couple of great guests coming up. It's going to be a blast and a half, and I'm so glad you guys are joining me on this journey. Go to Shark Brain Podcast to listen to any previous episodes, and go to jakenewton.com to get some merch. Maybe check out a, a couple of songs or two, and maybe uh, maybe see if i got a show coming up in your area. And as always, continue to send the positive notes, because they really do bolster my confidence and uh, sense of self. As sad and uh, as that may be, it feels good to be loved. And I don't think that's a shame to admit. All right. I got to go right now because I am uh, I am smoking a turkey in the front yard. Uh, it's it's kind of one of my things I do to de-stress. Long, long hour barbecue is what I call it. Okay. Love your friends and be well. 